You're listening to Her, an ongoing conversation for women by women, exploring all things heal, empower, and rise, giving voice to the feminine. This is a podcast where women support women through thought-provoking, authentic, and raw conversations. I'm Elika. I'm Alegria. And we're here to guide this adventure with you. Your voice matters. Let your voices be heard. With school resuming, there has been much debate and concern from parents, teachers, and the community on whether schools are prepared for students and for overall safety amid the growing coronavirus pandemic. Through a series of back-to-school podcast episodes, we will be interviewing teachers, administration, parents, nurses, and those in our communities. We'll give them a platform to speak freely and voice their concerns with all of us and all of you. So what's best, virtual or hybrid classes? And what are some of the teachers and parents saying in our circles? I think it's important to differentiate between virtual and hybrid classes. Hybrid courses take the benefits of online learning and combine them with traditional in-class learning. These courses allow students to use their skills that they have learned in the classroom and apply them in real life scenarios and virtual courses are those classes that are delivered entirely online. All right, let's dive in. And let's start with how the school reopening plans affect each of us personally. I'm a mom of a four-year-old, so she's actually preschool age. Um, so, you know, preschool is elective, it's not mandatory, and it's often mostly used akin to daycare. And so for me, um, I've, whether or not my daughter's school was opening, which it's not, but were it to be opening, I'm on the side of the fence of that doesn't feel safe. I am strategizing to work from home while parenting full time. And that's kind of where my comfort level with reopening schools is at this time. Yeah, and I hear that. And I've been talking to many teachers, administration, and my sister-in-law is a nurse and really been uh, getting the feedback from all levels. I myself am a parent of adult children. So I do not personally have children going to school uh, at this time. And um, my reference really is, I speak to my sister-in-law who's a nurse at a hospital and she just recently, she did get a job as a school nurse. So she will be doing this virtually. The students are not going back to school. Um, they are doing virtual online. And she's a parent of three, my three nieces. So she has been quite overwhelmed, uh, really trying to balance all of it, uh, trying to balance how she's going to get her three children uh, online. Uh, and, you know, getting the Chromebooks and setting them all up. Uh, their schedules are different. So from a parent's perspective, I know that she's overwhelmed 
and she's also a nurse um, and she's also working in the hospital where she's uh, dealing with uh, COVID patients uh, on a daily basis. And the students that pre-pandemic, uh, she had said to me that even before this pandemic hit, she had started subbing as a nurse in the schools and said to me that she had students coming to her on a daily basis that were hungry and she was not prepared for that. You know, students coming to her, she thought, oh, they, they feel sick, they're gonna come to her, but they were asking her for food. So imagine that, imagine now the schools that are not reopening hybrid or person, you know, face-to-face -face in person, how those children are going to be affected and those families. Yeah, I think, I think we're in a time where there's no good options. There's like one path is not the right path. We're, we're navigating one of the most complex scenarios we've faced in our, in our lifetimes of, you know, making, making the best choices out of no good options. You know, and it's very individual for every family, but the issues are so complex and it's not just a matter of education. It's, it touches all of the fabric of our society. School resuming affects every community at large. Um, School not resuming, you know, with face-to-face in-class instruction affects um, the health and well-being of families on so many levels, like just food security, like you've touched on, but also when we talk about families that have, you know, abusive situations at home, oftentimes school is the safest environment for many students to be at day in and day out, not just because some of their basic needs get met, but because it's the safe place for them emotionally, physically, et cetera. And, and then of course the educational piece is, is a part of this. Um, and then for many families, especially when we're looking at pre-K, through eight, uh, it makes it very difficult for parents to earn a living. We can talk about, you know, two parent households versus single parent households. And, you know, with the two parent households, it's already financially challenging to raise a family. But then you look at single parent households and when one one parent is responsible for earning all the income and now also has to be the sole caregiver of their children while they're working, if they're able to do that from home, many are not. You know, what happens to those families? So this just is so, oh my goodness, complex that there's no, there's no one right decision here. Um, and, and then we're seeing that in the way it's, it's coming out. So there's the hybrid classes, there's in-class, like traditional school, 
Um, there's virtual learning. And then we also have pods forming where folks are not sending their children back to school and they're hiring teachers and tutors to, you know, carry the, the load of providing the care and the education for children. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that as well. Um, I know that the administration in my area is doing the best they can to really meet the needs of the parents, the teachers. Um, I know that through talking to some of the teachers that they're quite overwhelmed with having to teach and not having necessarily the tools they need or the curriculum ready you know to hit the ground running so it's been a little tough and for administration they're trying to hear all angles all feedback you know parent surveys student surveys teacher surveys and trying to come up with a solution but like you said it's so complex and people are in different scenarios and their home life is different and some can work from home and some can't work from home and um, some are essential workers and they have to go to work, nurses, doctors, and what do they do with the children, you know, and keeping them at home is probably safest, I would say. I mean, that's my perspective, but some parents um, have different opinions. They want to get their kids back to school. So we're in a tough spot. Yeah, I mean, there's pluses and minuses to all the options here, for sure. And I, I have to say that I don't at all envy the decision makers and the school boards, as I don't envy those in that position. I will say having witnessed and um, watched some of these virtual school board meetings happen where they're making these decisions, in my community, specifically one school district whose board meeting I was able to attend virtually, you know, I was so proud that these were the decision makers. Uh, the way that they discussed all of the topics at hand and all the pluses and minuses of resuming in class instruction face-to-face -face, or taking it virtual or some model in the middle. They were so thoughtful and they cared so much about the best interests of everybody, regardless of where they stood with their personal you know, perspectives or beliefs on the matter. And the way they navigated the conversation and the differences of opinions that they all had among each other was so inspiring to me. I was very, very proud <laughs> for our students to be able to witness that kind of um, decision-making, uh, to see folks not in agreement with each other but having the best interests of all in mind, no matter where they stood, it was so, it gave me so much hope. And so I am just really grateful for the leaders in uh, this one particular district 
and how they're handling it. And at the end of the meeting, they ended up deciding to begin um, virtual learning for the first six weeks. And then they planned a special board meeting to have a check-in and reassess. And I liked the slow progression of that. I liked, I mean, first of all, with my own perspective, I had a big sigh of relief when that's what they, when they were not going in class. <laughs> so I, I was relieved. But I also really loved that they intended to reevaluate and find out how they could get back to face-to-face -face instruction because it is critical for our students to be able to connect and work together. And so much of school is socialization and learning those skills and navigating conflict. And so it's just, uh, it's, it's comprehensive. <laughs> so yeah, I think as long as the discussions are happening and continue, the dialogue needs to be there. They, there needs to be collaboration. There needs to be talking. The talking needs to continue. And as, like you said, you progress into the school year and the openings and uh, throughout the country, the dialogue needs to just continue. The communication needs to be very effective and clear uh, amongst all. I know there are some very, very strong, strong opinions on all levels, depending on where you are in, in this debate. But I think that it's crucial for everyone to keep that open mind and know that everyone's struggling. There's no easy solution and definitely administration because i have i i know uh you know principals assistant principals in my community i know that they're doing their best to offer solutions uh with all comfort levels so if 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 parents are not comfortable sending their kids to school they're offering solutions for that um, I do feel that a lot of schools, um, I live in an area where um, there's low income families, so, and at risk youth. So I know that there, uh, there's another level of concern there. So, you know, it's, it's a tough situation. Yeah, there, I mean, our whole region where I'm at is, has a large, low-income population. So this, you know, this is a difficult situation for all involved. And um, it's, you know, it's interesting because we do see folks with um, more resources making different decisions. Like we're, you know, like choosing to homeschool because it's actually an option for them versus something that, you know, where they have less opportunity to choose, which is, uh, so that's part of the conversation and, and then the resources and how do we make the virtual learning accessible to all of our students and do all of our students have the tools to be able to do that? Do they have Wi-Fi? Do they have the Chromebooks? And I know schools are providing some of these materials and resources, but what about the students that are really rural, which is uh, a large percentage of the students in, in my region. It's very rural and Wi-Fi is very challenging 
to have unless you're in a, a incorporated area. So it, it just, there's so many pieces to the puzzle on this and um, it gets, it gets really challenging. And then the, the, the different feelings that come into play, you know, so we've heard over and over in the media that, you know, oh, children, COVID doesn't affect children like it does adults, you know, but it's not just children attending schools. We've got teachers, administrators, we've got all the support staff, the janitors and, you know, the aides and the tutors and the um, administrative assistants. There's, it's a community and every one of these participants in the school communities exist outside the schools too. So, so it really is a community issue. Yeah, I hear that. Um, so in doing some of my research, speaking to teachers and staff and, um, you know, we're going to be interviewing independently, you and I, uh, some of these administrators, educators, teachers, staff, uh, parents, nurses, those involved uh, in our community that we know of, we're going to be scheduling a series of interviews. Um, so I kind of put together some of the questions, and I know that you put a lot of questions together so that we could do these interviews. But one of the things that um, kind of stood out to me is, you know, one question that, that I had posed was if families get a choice of remote or in-person learning, will teachers? So from a teacher's perspective, I know I've been speaking to some teachers that are super, super, super overwhelmed, like beside themselves overwhelmed to the point of, you know, they're just crying and in tears because of the thought of having to juggle it all depending on what the decisions are. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things. I don't know if a lot of the teachers' input came into play when making some of these decisions. So that's something that I'm going to be interested in, in knowing from the different teachers that I'll be interviewing. I think that we're seeing that on a lot of levels, uh, not just in the schools. I think that early on in the pandemic, when doctors and nurses were expected to show up to their place of work. And in some cases, they were threatened if they showed up with their own PPE. There's a lack of empowerment going on in these situations. So, you know, with the teachers, it's, it, I hear what you're saying about, you know, did they get to choose? what they felt safe doing. And I think that that's a fantastic question because I think in my own perspective and with my own business and my, my own employees, like I only want my team to be able to choose what feels good for them. Their self-empowerment is really big for me. And that's, we're not seeing that a lot on the corporate level, you know, did grocery store workers get to choose if they showed up at work? Um, and how were they being protected? And so this translates right into the school system. You know, what is in place for the teachers to 
maximize their safety, minimize their exposures, and how much choice do they have in being able to gauge and protect with their own safety and interests at heart. You know, some of these teachers have elderly parents that they're also caretaking. And so their exposures with their students are gonna affect how they can relate with and interact in their own families. Yeah, and even their own health compromised immune systems. We don't know. Um, was there a survey out that asked them that? Do you have a compromised immune system? And you know, I'm sure they don't have a plan B. They went to school to be teachers. This is what their life is. So what's their plan B? I've, I've seen so many stories about teachers quitting their jobs because there's just no other option. Their human life is more important. So, but again, I'm not speaking for them. I have my own, you know, I, I, I'm just listening and I think that that's what we're going to do with this series of podcasts. It'll be very interesting to see the levels of concern and perspective and where everyone's at in this debate. Yeah. I mean, all we can do is facilitate the conversations and there's a lot of different angles and perspectives. I think for parents in particular, one of the biggest hurdles is how do I, how do I work with my kids, you know, and that's you. That's me. I mean, but you know, it's, it's interesting because my, my stance is like, oh no, we are not, we are not gathering in group. Like it's the opposite of shelter in place, sending my kid back to school. And I am the sole provider. I am the head of household. I am the only income. And so how do I make it work? And so, you know, with a hard line drawn in the sand for me being no, we're not going back to school. We're not going back to care um, until it's safe to do so. Uh, it limits how I can make money and how do I creatively do that? Uh, even grocery shopping has, has been a bit of a dance. You know, I've, I've grocery shopped, I think, four times since the pandemic has hit because I'm doing once a month. I'm not comfortable taking my four-year-old that touches the cart, touches her mouth, touches the grocery item, touches her face. You know, <laughs> I'm not comfortable taking her into the stores with me at this time. So I've hired friends to park their car next to my car where I lock my child in my car and do my grocery shop with my friend having my keys in case my daughter needs something parked next to her. You know, so she's supervised. She's not a kid left in the car all by herself. Uh, but it's, it's that kind of really thinking outside the box that we're all needing to do in order to accommodate this very intense, deep reaching, you know, needs of these crazy times right now. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that being, I mean, you've, you've really been innovative <laughs> and really thought outside the box when it comes to keeping your daughter safe and that hard line that you drew in the sand. I think you're, you're doing a phenomenal job. I think that probably once we start doing these interviews, we're going to hear a lot of that. People really, nope, not, not going to do it. And some are just like, well, I want to send my kids to school. They're not going to get the learning home that they get in school. And we're going to hear a lot of different opinions and 
uh, I think it's going to be fabulous to just get give them a platform to to just speak freely and get their voices heard. Meanwhile, you and I have our our opinions and where we stand, but we're going to be objective and open minded and just give that platform to them so they can they can just vent. Sometimes, especially now, people need to vent. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because everybody's in their different points. You know, there's no family, no family is the same, you know, like I have my set of circumstances, you know, and so I'm observing the things that feel safe to me based on the circumstances that I'm dealing with, you know, my daughter's preschool age. So it's, it's not as detriment, you know, there's a lot of children that don't go to preschool. So she's not missing out on required education at this point in time. You know, do I want her to be getting curriculum and learning and all of that stuff? And can I add it to my plate? Yes, I want her to get it. And oh my gosh, I can't even add one more thing to my plate, you know? So I doubt she's going to get a super uh, enriching experience with me as her teacher, right? <laughs> so, you know, but were she a few years older, uh, I might have a completely different set of values surrounding the safety and my choices for this based on the very different needs that would be in, in a different circumstance. So it's, it's really fascinating. You know, I've been talking to a lot of other families that have a lot of different needs and, and how they're navigating them. You know, this is not the time for any kind of self-righteousness or judgment or shaming anyone for any of their choices or decisions, no matter what they are. We need to really be coming together collaboratively as a community. We need to be innovative and think outside the box. Um, and we need to understand that you know, different families have different needs. I have another, I have a friend actually that has a, a preschool age child who definitely needs more opportunity for socialization. And so that family is definitely looking for the care options available at this time uh, because that what the paramount need in that family is. So it's, it's just a very case by case time for everybody. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that, you know, that I always try to, you know, really talk about is how we need to just be kind to one another. And you just never know what anyone else is going through. And I think you and I talked about this a lot already you know, in, in our conversations as we're doing these podcast episodes is don't be so self-centered, really look at others in a different light um, because you don't know what they're going through and what their circumstances are. So always remember to be kind. I think our teachers really need that support too right now. Yeah, they do. You know, especially when they're uh, offering such a three, well, such a 180 degree pivot with very little prep time to make that pivot happen, moving into a virtual or hybrid model, you know, their curriculum that they may have had set for the year is no longer the same. And, and then how to keep it engaging for the students and how do they facilitate the online learning and 
keep their students engaged. I do already hear a lot of frustrations from families that are wishing that teachers were more organized or that the pathway through the curriculum was more clear or that there was, you know, more consistency. And, and that's the time to just stop, <laughs> take a breath, consider what the teacher's experience is and, and what they're trying to accomplish with giving their curriculum in a completely new format. And this is that time for compassion and empathy and really acknowledging, you know, that while our students might be getting frustrated, you know, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle to even make these options available. Yeah, it's going to be interesting as schools resume how they navigate through all of this. And I'm just hoping that everyone's talking and communicating effectively because that's the only way that they're going to be able to come up with good solutions that appease everyone. I think something that's exciting in this time is that we've shaken the box so much (laughs) that there is no normal standard, you know, that that we are in a place where creativity is far-reaching and in that a lot of new opportunities are going to come to light. I don't see education going back to normal. I don't see most things going back to the way they were in, you know, completely. Uh, I think that once we, once we build out this virtual reality, it's something that's going to pair with how we, or what degree of what was before continues. So we might be able to get back to classrooms at some point in time, but I think now we're going to have an added virtual component to the classroom that wasn't there pre-pandemic. And so I just see, you know, silver lining in every walk of this pandemic, you know, how is this going to shape the future? And I think that we're going to see lasting change and impact from these new modalities that are being explored right now. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Definitely not going back to any type of how we used to be. What does that future look like for us? If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you share our podcast with other women in your circle. Remember, your voice is your superpower.